Good evening, my name is Adam. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, when do I have? Do I 8.55? Yeah. Okay. Um, I like that there's a bench here. I was worried about pacing back and forth because I tend to do that when I talk. So uh, now I can make sure I'm going to be close to the recording. So. Uh, I see a lot of familiar faces, which is fantastic. Hey, guys, how are you guys doing? It's good to see Adam here. It's good to see Mark, of course. Some people that I don't know. Uh, we know that, uh, I'm imagining anyways, that there are some people in here that are relatively new. Uh, and so I want to make sure that the message that I share with you guys tonight uh, is going to not just me sit up here and tell my story. A, l- a lot of speakers do that. They want to come and say, well, for step one, I did this. And for step two, I did this. And for step three, I did this. And that's great. I'm glad that they've got that talk in their back pocket. We all have that talk in our back pocket if we want to go up and do it anytime we're asked. But I think it's more important to deliver uh, a stronger message of hope. And I specifically want to talk a little bit about what makes an alcoholic and how that ties into my story. Uh, And also, I want to talk about Primary Purpose Group a little bit. Uh, It seems fitting that this is uh, um, the first, what we're calling it a takeover, right, Kevin? This is the takeover. I'm actually changing it to accepted responsibility. Okay, okay. we accepted responsibility uh, for this meeting. And uh, I feel honored to have the opportunity to come and share here tonight. Uh, I don't know how many people know, but I actually was the first speaker. We had a primary purpose group, too, when we had speaker meetings at PPG. How many years ago? Ten plus years ago. I don't think we even know how old PPG is. Did we know that? 2009. 2009, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, Let me start by saying, uh, yes, I do introduce myself as a recovered alcoholic. Uh, For many years, I felt that I was uh, steadfast in my determination to continue to do that when I didn't hear others also introducing themselves as a recovered alcoholic. Uh, My heart sings whenever I go to PPG and I hear people introduce themselves as a recovered alcoholic. Um, Why do I introduce myself as a recovered alcoholic? Quite simply for two reasons. Number one, because my sponsor told me to. Once I had the spiritual experience, uh, which is a guarantee from working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I'm as recovered as I'm going to get. I may change as a person. I may grow into being somebody different. But the desire for alcohol has been removed from me. And I am recovered. I'm not cured from alcoholism. My painful heartache disease has been placed into remission, and it will stay there as long as I continue to do this work. So, uh, and the other reason why I introduced myself as a recovered alcoholic is because it is the fastest way that I can share a message of hope to somebody who's brand new in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody likes to hear that they're going to come to AA and they're going to stay here for the rest of their lives, never getting better, always recovering. For me to share that I am a recovered alcoholic shares a message of hope that you too can recover from this disease. You bet. Um, I'm not going to go into a, a large sort of drunkologue as to uh, drinking escapades. I've had many, as I'm sure everybody here has as well. Uh, I will say that um, I was born in Calgary. Uh, I didn't live here my whole life um, when I was a kid. With my dad's work, we moved around quite a bit, but came back here in sort of high school, and uh, I did all of my drinking here in Calgary. 
um, for a little bit of uh, laugh, I checked today to see how many days sober I am. And this is my 6,300th day sober. And the only thing I remember is because it's a nice round number. Usually it's all screwed up. Right? And I'll, I'll help you do the quick math on that. That's just over 17 years sober. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I, I only drank from the age of 16, not even really continually at the age of 16, up to the age of 24. That's it. Um, I really only drank for eight years. Uh, and when you take a look at my life in its totality, if you're also like me and you're doing the math in your head, 17 years, stop drinking 24, that makes me uh, 41 years old. Which means that I only actually drank for about one-fifth of my life, my whole life. And you may think, well, that's clearly not very much. What, what gives me the right to stand up here and talk about the disease of alcoholism when, when some people, and I'm sure some people in this room, have suffered way longer than I did, eight years. And my response is uh, very similar to Star Wars. <laughs> the force is strong in this one, absolutely. Uh, alcohol kicked the living shit out of me. Um, and in eight years, I went from a casual weekend, have some fun drinking with my friends, to, as my friend Chris said once, alone in a dark room with a bottle of booze. That was the end of my drinking. I can remember, um, as was common for me, waking up on a Sunday very hungover, very dehydrated, trying to put together what happened the evening or a couple evenings before, uh, sitting in the shower, rain, Falling on my head in the shower and uh, drinking a few beers to make sure that I can stop the shakes. Um, I may have started to drink because it was fun, but I guarantee you at the end of my drinking, it was not fun. I didn't drink because I was going to have a, a good time and I was going to party. Um, I think a lot of people in this room can identify with that. I don't think you end up walking into Alcoholics Anonymous without some inkling of what it means to drink, not be able to stop drinking, and absolutely hate yourself for drinking. I, uh, you know, did similar stuff to everybody else. I had a, a number of uh, DUIs, car accidents. Um, it was one of the things I used to do that was very outside of my character. Sober, wouldn't even think about getting behind the wheel of a car. With the obsession on me, totally drunk, running out of alcohol, needing more, I would easily get behind the wheel of a car. Absolutely. Wasn't even a question. It was going to happen. Um, and, I, and I smashed up a lot of cars. Thank God I didn't kill anybody. Almost did. Uh, but I didn't. I got into fights. You know, everybody knows you lose relationships. I remember uh, staying at home for a solid week, uh, drinking my face off in the summer um, from my job. And uh, I claimed that the reason why I was staying home is because there was forest fires and the smog was really bad. And it was really affecting my stomach. I just couldn't work or whatever. 
It wasn't the smog that was affecting my stomach. Absolutely not. Um, and after that week was done, uh, I was convinced that it was my job that was causing me to drink. So I went in and quit my job. Uh, I sobered up for about six hours to not uh, reek and, and uh, you know, smell like a brewery and go in there and quit my job and then leave and then proceed to drink more, right? Um, I, I worked, I've worked in media my whole life, so I, I worked in newspapers when newspapers were still a thing and people knew what they were. <laughs> uh, I worked uh, at a television station uh, when I was still drinking. I used to have Adam's special uh, water bottle that uh, when we were in the control room, you know, doing live news, and I'm sipping from my vodka in the back. Uh, I used to, we had always had a, had a break after the six o'clock news where we didn't have to be back until about, you know, 9.30 to get ready for the 11 o'clock news. Uh, so I was the only one, and lots of people would go out to the bar. Uh, I was probably the only one that would polish off two pitchers of beer in that three hour, you know, stance, and then come back uh, do my the rest of the show uh, very drunk, but but I could do it absolutely. And then go and and uh, sleep in the green room uh, because I had to be back at work for six o'clock in the morning uh, for the morning news. So and I did that for quite a long time. Um, and eventually, it just uh, if you can believe it, of of all of the jobs you can have, working in live television is not one that they you're allowed to show up late. <laughs> causes a little bit of problems. So I had a couple of uh, instances where I showed up late and nobody was there to do my job. My job was graphics for the, for the news program and uh, so they just proceeded without any titles and stuff like that. And uh, Eventually, um, you know, my boss said I better get this shit figured out. And by that time I was hiding behind the term alcoholism. I, I didn't, you know, I knew I was an alcoholic but I didn't want to say I was an alcoholic. To me, it seemed better if I just said, well, I'm just battling with some alcoholism as if it's like, you know, the common cold. I just got a little case of the alcoholism right now. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I said to my boss, you know, I'm, I'm going to need some time off. And uh, he showed me to the door. He wanted me to have some time off. I worked the one and only time I worked for a union. And uh, so he, could, he couldn't get rid of me. So... Um, so yeah, he showed me to the door, and uh, and uh, I still had a job there, but not for very much longer, to be honest with you. At that time, I'd moved back home. Um, you know, I'd, I'd moved out of the house when I was 17 years old. Moved out relatively young and lived with a roommate downtown. You know, all that sort of stuff. I I, I was always a relatively high achiever. I, I did three years of uh, or four years of post secondary education. I crammed it into three years, right? And during those three years, I also worked 40 hours a week. So I always was somebody who was always operating really high, really fast. I'm not saying I'm smart at all. I'm not very smart. Uh, I'm more like a terrier, and I just will just keep hammering at it, you know, until I get what I want, right? Um, so uh, by the time uh, um, we got to 24 years old, for me to actually have to move back in with my mom and dad was pitiful for me. Um, this is when I was working at the TV station, and I had, uh, well, my dad, is one of the things I'm, I'm most uh, ashamed of, is that my, I took a hobby away from my dad. My dad liked to uh, vent his own wine, 
And uh, that doesn't work well with a practicing alcoholic in the house, right? Uh, there was huge carboys of wine that I would wait till they fell asleep and then siphon out a couple of large tumblers and polish those off. And then, of course, wake up late, not show up at work. Well, that's what led to the whole thing, right? Um, my family, uh, at that point, could see how bad my alcoholism really was. And uh, before that, I had hit it fairly well. You know, I lived on my own, um, or I, you know, lived with uh, um, my brother, who's very much like me. Uh, so he was my best drinking buddy. And, and uh, yeah, when they started to see how bad it was, you know, then the discussion started to talk about, well, maybe you should get some help, maybe you should go to treatment. And I was absolutely convinced uh, treatment was a waste of money and time because I was going to die this way. Uh, there's no point in me actually doing it, right? So um, that happened for about six months. That conversation would repeatedly come back around and I would repeatedly get myself into more and more hot water as I did things like crashed another vehicle or came home in handcuffs, uh, you know, stuff like that, right? Uh, until eventually uh, my mother asked me one day, hey, you know, like, we just can't keep going on like this. You know, will you please consider getting some help? And I don't know what it was that day. I have no idea why. But I said, okay. I said, yeah, sure. And uh, she immediately uh, got up and left in order to make arrangements for me to get some help. And when she was out of sight, I got up and went to the door and put on my shoes and was gone for two days. And uh, was absolutely blotto drunk for two days. Came home. Uh, that was March 5th, 2005. No, March 10th, 2005. Um, my mother wouldn't come out of her room to even talk to me. Which, I'm not a mama's boy, but that hurt. I deserved it. But it still hurt. I, uh... I'd found out that while I was gallivanting and, and uh, getting loaded for those two days, that they had made arrangements for me to go to a treatment facility in Texas. Turns out my Auntie Lois is one of my mom's best friends, who uh, she's not actually my aunt, but she's been around since I was born. Well, before I was born, uh, you know, she worked for an alcohol and drug addiction treatment facility in Texas, worked at one of their outreach offices in Houston, and she said, why don't you send them down here? So. Um, I came home after two days and they said, you're going to get on a plane tomorrow morning. Where to? <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Texas was about the last place in the world I wanted to go to at that point in my life. You know, to me it was filled with, you know, uh, well it is today still, filled with gun-carrying Republicans and, and, and it was not me. I didn't want to be there, right? Um... But, uh, but I had no choice. You know, I said, yeah, I would go, so uh, fine. Next morning, my dad drove me to the airport. Still hadn't seen my mom. Uh, he drove me to the airport, and I, I got on a plane, and I went to Texas. And I had, when I, I always tell this because it, it kind of paints a little bit of, you know how it says in the big book how we have trouble differentiating the true from the false, right? Uh, and I think that this is a, a good example of the level of my delusion. 
Uh, I had always had visions that someday in my life I would be the guy that got off the plane and somebody would be waiting there with a sign for me and we would go together and get in the limousine and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, This is the closest I have ever gotten to that. I got off the plane and uh, some guy wearing, you know, jogging pants on the back of a receipt had written my name in Sharpie and was holding it up. And we did not get in a limousine. We got into a creepy white cube van and he drove me to the treatment facility an hour and a half away. That was a pretty awkward hour and a half drive. Um, when we got there, I immediately went into medical detox. I did not know that this facility had a medical detox on site. Had I known that, I probably would have drank on the plane. But I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, and I... Uh, <coughs> I got there and I remember spending the first 72 hours in uh, the detox Um, and even though at that point I hadn't had a drink for two or three days, uh, every, uh, I would say every 12 hours I'd have to blow and do another uh, test and uh, it took about three days before I actually, there was no alcohol left in my system. I was, I was pretty saturated, right? Everybody, I think most people in AA know that, you know, you go from the, the uh, cucumber to the pickle, right? And I was definitely pickled at that point, right? Does everybody know where you go after the pickle? Relish. That's where you get to later. So you don't want to get to relish. You, your pickle's okay. Um, so I spent 35 days in that treatment facility, which, uh, which was cool. And I met some really great people there. Um, I met uh, a guy who uh, eventually became my sponsor, is still my sponsor today, his name is William. Uh, He wasn't always my sponsor, um, but I would say probably about seven or eight years ago, I reached out to him and and he agreed to be my sponsor again, even though he's in Texas and I'm here. But uh, I met a guy, uh, William's sponsor actually, his name was Chris, and uh, Chris is uh, a very interesting fellow. Um, because Chris is William's sponsor and, and I'm, and William is my sponsor, I'm part of that same sponsorship lineage. And uh, one of the things that Chris likes to do is look up history in AA. And I actually have somewhere, you know, a PDF file somewhere that actually shows my entire sponsorship lineage going right back to both Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. Um, in how old is AA now? 90, almost 90? What? No, like 80, 87, I think. Yeah, almost 90. So in the almost 90 years, there have been 10 men between Bill and Bob and myself. I am number 10. Um, we used to think it was just a connection to Bob, but we found out there was a fork in the tree at some point where one guy was sponsored by Bill, and Bill told him to fuck off, and then, and then Bob agreed to sponsor him. So we kind of have both of them, which is pretty cool. Uh, and I often share that with, with my sponsees. Uh, you know, some of them, I send them the document, and they can see exactly, you know, who it is, right? Um, and, and how it got to them uh, 87 years later, right? Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I think it's important to understand the purity of the message that we hear in the rooms of AA. 
I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I've always loved Alcoholics Anonymous. Alkies are my thing. Love Alcoholics. Um, It would be not only uh, foolish, but it probably is dangerous for me to say to you that everybody who goes to an AA meeting who says they're an alcoholic, um, they're not an alcoholic. It's important for you. It's not dangerous for me to tell you that. It's dangerous for you to not understand that everybody in AA is not an alcoholic. Most of us are, but not all of us. Um, do you guys know the, uh, the phrase, the real McCoy? Everybody's heard that phrase? Do you guys know where that phrase comes from, anybody? Hatfields and the McCoys. Uh, close. Uh, it might have been a relation, I think. What I understood it to come from was Al Capone's main competitor in running uh, whiskey in the Prohibition was a gentleman by the name of McCoy. Probably was related to the Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, and McCoy did not water down his alcohol like Al Capone did. So uh, if you wanted to make sure you got the really good stuff, the really high-potency stuff, you had to ask to make sure this was the real McCoy. And the sobriety that I got in, the, in Texas and through the sponsorship lineage that I'm a part of was definitely the real McCoy. It is the sobriety that I um, was thankful I was able to find here in Calgary as well. That was pretty scared coming back here to Calgary, but I, I did find it here. Um, let me jump back a little bit. So I spent 35 days in that treatment facility. After that treatment facility, uh, I realized that 35 days was not enough time for me to jump back into my life. Um, I was in the process of working the steps um, but I had just asked William to be my sponsor about a week and a half before I left that treatment facility. So I really wasn't working the steps under the guise of a sponsor at that time. And I knew I needed to complete the steps before I went home. So uh, I ended up moving into uh, an alcoholic and drug addiction halfway house in Texas and lived there for five more months. Um, had a unique situation there. I'm a Canadian in Texas. Uh, one of the rules for being in that house is you had to have a job, and I legally wasn't allowed to work in the United States. So, so I had a bunch of interesting responsibilities to keep the house up, uh, you know, make sure it was clean. I ended up becoming sort of the house cook. I've always loved to cook cooking. I've never worked professionally as a cook, but cooking is a, is a hobby of mine. Uh, so I got to do that. Um, they gave me the fucking credit card for the house, if you could believe that. My bank, my own bank, wouldn't even give me a credit card. But when I made it there to Texas, they're here, go shopping and buy food for the house. So that was pretty cool. Um, and after, uh, you know, five months there, I ended up coming back here. Just checking the time. Um, I worked the steps as much as I could while I was there. I was sponsoring guys while I was there. Um, I had uh, written letters to people back here who I was going to have amends conversations with and sent them in the mail, and I had uh, done everything that is in the book, soup to nuts, right? And, um, and I remember one day having a conversation with William, and he very bluntly just asked me, like, when are you going to go home? Like, 
Like you're recovered here, right? You've had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing this work. And now you're just taking up a bed for somebody else in the halfway house. So when are you going to go home? And within 48 hours, I landed in Calgary. And I was home. And that evening, when I landed in Calgary, I made sure I went to an AA meeting. I went to one, I think they still have it, at uh, one of the hospitals here in town. It scared the shit out of me. Um, because a lady was, was came down to join, grace us with her presence in the AA meeting from the psych ward. And she was eight years sober and just starting her eighth step. And I was freaked the fuck out. Because that is... <laughs> Way too long to be working on your steps, right? Um, at this point, I still didn't have a, a driver's license because I had lost it. So um, uh, I had to get around and explore Calgary AA via the bus and the Shoelace Express. And uh, I ended up finding a meeting down at the Salvation Army. Um, nice guy down there, his name was Cam. He's since passed away, but... He was my sponsor for a bit, and he was hosting this meeting at the Salvation Army downtown. What was great about that Salvation Army down, meeting downtown is I could go to the same place on Monday nights, and I would have different AA groups would come throughout the course of the year, and I could experience AA from all over the city in one place at the same time, right? So I saved on the bus pass. Didn't need that because I could just go to the Salvation Army. I ended up taking that meeting over for Cam. And I chaired that meeting for... Accepted responsibility. Accepted responsibility for that meeting from Cam. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I did it for a year and a half. And I never missed a Monday night. And I will say that uh, that is where... Remember I said before I was scared about not finding the AA that that I knew. Uh, and I found it. I found it after, uh, you know, we had a meeting in this group called Unity Group. It sent some speakers and this, this fit guy with glasses and shared with fire. And he asked, his name was Kevin, and he asked me afterwards whether or not... Uh, um, I was new to the city, and uh, some of the things I was talking about sure sounded like this speaker that he knew named Chris. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know Chris. Yeah, that's, that's my grand sponsor. No shit. Kevin gave me a ride home that night. I've known him for better or worse ever since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to jump a little bit ahead now. Because that really kind of tells the story of how I kind of went from a hopeless, pitiable alcoholic, which I think everybody's got their own understanding of what that is, the process that actually happened to me to get me to a place where I was now a member of AA, and I was in AA, doing AA, I had a sponsor, and I was trying to carry this message to others, right? Um, Fast forward a few years, and I had a, a different sponsor, and I had uh, um, I'd taken on a number of service positions here in Calgary. I've done everything from, uh, I was the Westward editor for a year and a half. I was part of the intergroup steering committee, committee for a year. Uh, I was uh, intergroup representative, pretty much everything at the group level that you could do. 
Um, lots of different stuff. Ways to be of service and give back to the program that saved my life. And, uh, but something was still, something was still kind of missing. You know, this fire that I remember from Texas, I caught it in glimpses, but I didn't see it all the time. I didn't see it regularly enough. And uh, I talked to Kevin about it one day, and he, it was after, uh, it was after the gratitude roundup. We just listened to a speaker, Chris's brother actually, come into town, Myers, if you listen to them. Uh, he had come into town and we listened we were there, present, heard him, talked to him. You know, uh, I'd known Meyer, so he recognized us. It was cool. Um, and afterwards, Kevin and I were talking about we got to do something different. We got to do something different. We got to bring. We got to bring real AA here. What we knew was real AA here. Again, I'm not criticizing anybody else, but the primary purpose group was my home group for a fucking reason. Amen. So. We got together, and uh, I remember when, you know, the first night we started Primary Purpose Group. Um, the first real kind of night, I would say, is one day after work, Kevin and, and myself and a guy named Warren got together at a coffee shop, and we talked about what we really wanted to do or what we wanted to see in a meeting. And the very first thing we said was, we've we got to make it book-related. The book is where the solution is. And we found far too many instances where you go to meetings and somebody wouldn't have a topic and they'd throw it out to the crowd. Hey, give me a topic. Who's got a topic for tonight? Because I didn't get here early enough to fucking think about it and, and have a topic. So somebody out there give me a topic. And uh, invariably, the topics were always, uh, step one, great topic, love it, don't get me wrong, okay. Seconds. Uh, what's that? Acceptance. Acceptance. You bet. Absolutely. Gratitude. That, that, that's fucking it. There's those three. And importance of meetings. <laughs> that's it. So we needed to, to do something that was related to the book. And let me, tell you, let me tell you why I think what makes PPG so special. Other people who attend PPG and, and have it as their home group may think, other reasons, but these are the reasons why I think PPG is so important. Uh, one is because we do have a focus on the literature. We do focus on the book. If you haven't been to PPG, uh, most of the meetings in a month, we read directly from the book for 10 minutes, and then we share about what was read. There is no discussion about what's going on with your boss, your next door neighbor, your significant other. There's none of that. We talk about what was read. And what was read might have been, you know, everybody fucking hates it when we read the chapter to wives. It takes us like eight months to get through the chapter to wives. The rest of the book is really quickly, but to wives seems to take forever. But there's great stuff in that chapter, really good stuff in that chapter. And, and if you don't have a wife or have never been a spouse, or if ne then probably don't share at that meeting. Because we're really not interested in opinions. If you're, if you're relatively new to this program, I'm, and I know that because I was there, sometimes when I was asked to speak, uh, I got really nervous. What am I going to say? What, what am I going to say? I have no idea what I'm going to say. Uh, God forbid I was put into the position where I was going to be a sponsor. What do I do as a sponsor? Oh, my God. I'm going to make it really easy for you. 
take all that fear away so that you don't have that anymore. The only two things you need to talk about, either as a sponsor or at a meeting, are what's in the big book and your experience. I got news for it. You are the be all and end all expert in the whole world on your experience. Nobody else knows more about your experience than you. And what's in the big book, if you're like me, you carry one around, you can reference at any time, written in black and white. Pretty simple, right? You don't have to worry about what you're going to say. You don't have to worry about when you're sponsoring somebody that you might fuck them up. You're not. You just need to share what your experience was and what's in the book. That's it. If you don't have any experience as a parent, or you don't have any experience uh, as a boss, or you don't have any experience with chlamydia, don't fucking talk about those things. <laughs> if somebody comes to you with... Those problems, he said, I, I can't help you with that. I just got to stick to my experience and what's in the book. So, A, uh, PPG, focuses on what's in the book. We read it. We study it. Uh, when I work with sponsees, often sponsees, you know, wonder if there's a quick way to learn everything that's in the book. Um, because I, like a lot of people in this room, I know... Uh, can find things in the book really quickly, know the pages that they're on, can easily find the information that I want. Um, the only way to know the book uh, that well is you have to have read it hundreds of times. That's it. There's no shortcut. Howard Cosell once asked Muhammad Ali, hey Muhammad, how do you get those big muscles? He looked straight in the camera and said, every day I go into the gym and I push thousands of pounds of weight until I feel like my muscles are going to fall out of my body. That's the only way you get big muscles like Muhammad Ali. And the only way you're going to get to know the big book is if you read the big book over and over and over again. They have these convenient travel science versions. They fit in the back pocket. Nobody can even see it. It's that, it fits great. <laughs> Carry it around with you. Study it. You got 10 minutes on the bus? Open it up. Crack, crack open any page. Read from it. Learn it. Come to PPG on Wednesday nights. You'll, you'll read through it hundreds of times just by being a member of Primary Purpose Group. The second reason why I think PPG is so special is because we focus on sponsorship. Um, we have a, uh, a closing statement that we read at the end of every meeting at PPG. Uh, to me, it is the, um, the sole and only reason why we engage in sponsorship, that closing statement. It is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Um, sponsorship is not going for coffee. You may drink coffee, but that's not what sponsorship is. Sponsorship is not giving people rides. Sponsorship is not a checkbox that you get to check so that they let you out of treatment. My job as a sponsor is very clearly to show somebody what I did and what I continue to do in order to stay sober. That's it. I'm not a relationship counselor. I'm not a, a career counselor. 
certainly, although at times I felt like a therapist, I'm not a therapist. Um, my job is to show you what I did and continue to do in order to stay sober. Please, 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 if you've got a sponsee that just, you know, I just don't, I'm not a good reader, I don't want to read, don't offer to sit and read the book for them. One of their family members can read the book for them if reading is trouble for them. But your job as a sponsor is not to be their reader. They need to read it and comprehend it. And if you're reading it to them, they're, they're nodding their head. And behind those eyes, nothing is happening. That's my experience. Nothing is happening. And the reason why I say that is because I've fucking done that. Sure, let me help you read this. Uh, and then I look over and the guy's <laughs> nodding off, right? Don't do that. Um, as much as possible, your sponsorship, like we just talked about, should, should uh, stick to those two tracks, what's in the book and what your experience is. No outside opinions are welcome in sponsorship. Uh, keep them to yourself. Uh, be judgment-free. You're going to see lots of stuff being a sponsor. Um, but the, I think probably, and this sounds selfish, I know, but the most important reason why I engage in sponsorship is because the entire time I've been a sponsor, I've never taken a drink. I'm not saying all my sponsees have stayed sober. Some of them have not. Some of them just disappeared. Some of them absolutely have died. I have gone to their funerals. But as a sponsor, I've not taken a drink. The third reason why PPG is so special and important for me is because we have a very strong focus on God. Um, without getting you know, too much into the state of the world, uh, I'm just going to sort of frame that we live in a time today where people are way more aware of their emotional quotient. They're way more aware of how they're feeling spiritually. They're way more aware of their relationships with other people. Um, they're way better at hiding a lot of the stuff <clears throat> they don't want people to see. We've all heard stories of the Instagram queens that want to slit their wrists. Right? I think that's all great stuff. But I think that sometimes it can cause a little bit of a barrier when we are in the role of being a sponsor, showing people what we did and continue to do in order to stay sober. And that means I work these steps in order to go from a life that is completely disconnected from a power greater than myself, I work those steps to get connected to that power. And it is that power that keeps me sober today. Not those steps. It is my relationship with God that keeps me sober today. And sometimes when we present the spiritual solution, the only solution that AA has to offer, newcomers want to go, well, I think I'm just going to focus on my, I don't know, chakras, <laughs> which is, that's great, but I think I'm going to go to more yoga classes. I think I'm going to the gym. The gym, the gym is huge, that's right. Um, and, I, and I think that sometimes that can be a barrier for us 
Like, let, let's just really quickly, let's just, let's just frame this situation here really quickly, right? So, so somebody has so badly fucked up their lives that they had to drag themselves by the throat into the basement of a local church or a community center on a fucking Wednesday night to go to an AA meeting. They are literally falling apart in front of your eyes. They reek of alcohol or other substances. Tears are streaming out of their eyes. And when you say, we have a solution for you, it's God, they say, well, you know what? I think, I think the gym. I need to go to the gym. I think I'm going to spend a little bit more time in yoga. Or I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to smart recovery. Or I think I'm going to work on cognitive behavioral therapy. Or I'm going to, those are all, don't get me wrong, those are all great things. You remember when I said I went to a treatment facility. We did all that shit. I used to love saying I had a breakthrough in group today. But I, it's not the solution that AA has to offer. I, I had a sponsee who uh, I haven't talked to in two and a half weeks. Last time I talked to them, uh, they proceeded to uh, tell me how them with their less than 300 days sober uh, knows way more about spirituality in this program than me with my 6,300 days sober. Uh, and when they reached out and contacted me last night, uh, they said that, uh, you know, I should really call more often and um, that I'm really not working my program. And I said, go fuck yourself. 6,300 days sober. And I said, go fuck yourself. Am I happy with it? No. Was it the right thing to do? Absolutely. There probably was a nicer way to do that. <laughs> but go fuck yourself was all I could get to. You know, I, I think that... I think that focusing on God really provides us with a way to push out all the rest of the clutter. We get to... Well, let's say what the book says, right? The book says that, you know, the central fact for us today is that God has entered into our hearts and lives in us in a way which is indeed miraculous. That is the central fact. That means that is the one iotum of truth upon which all other elements of truth rotate in my life. That's the one. And I, I hear people say this all the time. Well, I, I come to AA, I'm going to AA an awful lot. I'm not seeing my wife or my kids. I have to have some kind of balance as if it's like uh, at Callaway Park and you've got the fucking the, 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 uh, pirate ship ride and you're going to swing back and forth. That's not balance. The balance that we're talking about is God is in the middle. The rest of your life sits on this plane, this plate. And if you put too much effort over here in one thing, it's going to tip off. You are not able to maintain a life happy and sober as an alcoholic like me without a strong connection to a power greater than yourself. Amen. I don't care what you call that power. I don't, I don't care if it's Father God, Jesus, Allah. I don't, I don't care. You have to come to that relationship. Absolutely. 
So those are the three reasons why I think PPG is special and different. That we, we focus on the book, we focus on sponsorship, and we focus on God. Um, if you haven't had the opportunity to come and check out our meeting on Wednesday nights, of course you're all welcome. I'd love to see you there. I will be there this week. Wasn't there last week. Was coaching the Little League Baseball game last week. It was awesome. We lost by two runs, though. Um, but I will be there this week. This is now a PPG meeting. Yeah. yeah. Which we're really excited about. We've accepted responsibility for this meeting. <laughs> which means that on Saturday nights, we will be here. I hope that there are members of PPG that are going to be coming to speak. I, I, well, I know there are going to be members of PPG. I hope there are other people that can come. I had a brief chat with Kevin earlier this week. We, he was, he's got visions for this meeting that we are going to get. Uh, that's big screen here. We're going to get people from out of town are going to speak to us. And, and we'll hopefully one day fly people in. It's going to be a big deal. But I, I encourage you just to get connected, right? Um, get a sponsor. Do this work. Um, work the steps. Don't just read them and nod. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. The steps are simple, not easy. They do require work. Uh, but anybody can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Um, so please work those steps. Um, and the last thing I think I want to sort of finish off on is um, we read it a lot. I think that uh, sometimes it's just sort of uh, noise in the background. But I always like to finish off with the last paragraph of the first 164 pages of the big book about Pope's Anonymous. It says here, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. All right. And with that, I think that's the end of my talk tonight. Thank you.